Welcome to the Core Women Podcast, the place for women entrepreneurs, authors, and self-starters looking to build community and gain valuable insights through expert interviews with women at the top of their game. Join your host, podcaster, producer, expert coach, entrepreneur, and author, Dr. Summer Watson, as she aims to inspire and empower you through these candid conversations. Lean in and embrace the journey. It's time to start the show. Here's your host, Dr. Summer Watson. Today on the show, I'd like to welcome Tammy G. Barlett. She is a Minnesota native who grew up with a heart to serve her country. At the University of Minnesota, she joined Air Force ROTC, and this is where her love for aviation started. Tammy completed specialized undergraduate pilot training in April of 2000 for the Air Force, where she flew the T-37 and T-38 and moved on to fly the A-10 Warthog. There were some life changes, and she went on to join the Air National Guard and piloted the MQ-1 Predator and the MQ-9 Reaper, accumulating over 1,500 hours of combat support time in both Iraq and Afghanistan, supporting and protecting our troops on the ground, providing real-time reconnaissance and lethal support. She has over 3,000 hours of flying time, has a master's in Christian ministry. She is a wife, a mom, and also runs an organization called Athena's Voice. Wow. Just wow. We have so much to talk about, Tammy. So let's get right into this and welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So before we dive into your professional background, let's talk a bit about Minnesota and what it was like to grow up there. Minnesota is awesome. Yeah, it's a little bit cold, but the summers are beautiful and the snow is fun when it first falls, you know, the first few times. Yeah. I always thought it was weird once I moved away to not have snow at winter or snow winter, snow at Christmas, (laughs) but Minnesota was great. I think one of the best things about it is just The Minnesota nice, in my experience, if you've heard that term before, truly exists, at least from what I've experienced, people were just genuinely kind and helpful. And I loved it. And my family was like that. They were a big supportive family. And the education I got there was awesome. There's a lot put into the education system in Minnesota, and it was great. It was a good experience for me. Fantastic. So you also went to as you mentioned, the University there of Minnesota. And Uh this is where your aviation journey began. Can you expand on that and what that looked like for you and how that developed? Of course. Yeah. So when I decided to go into Air Force ROTC, I just wanted to serve my country. I just, it seemed appealing to me, not only just the fact that I get to serve because I love serving, um, but to serve my country and then I just love the structure, the organization, and just kind of knowing what to expect and where to be and what to do. I, I just, I thrive well in that type of environment. And I was just going to be, you know, pick a degree. I mean, I got, I got my degree in gerontology, which has nothing to do with the military, but I was going to be an Intel officer and do my four years and then see what I thought at that point. But when I went to field training, it was training in the summer for four weeks down at Lackland. It's kind of like a, a boot camp for cadets. We lived in the bays and, you know, they yelled at us and obstacle courses and push-ups and all that stuff. But we had a career day at one point and there was 200 cadets and there was different career, you know, officers across the panel. And there was one pilot 
And as fate would have it, he happened to point right at me and ask, are you going to be a pilot? And I looked at him and because I had been told that I couldn't be a pilot because I had knee reconstruction when I was 17. Oh, wow. Okay. So I said, well, no, I, I can't. I had knee surgery. And he said, yeah, there's pretty much a waiver for everything. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. And I had to add to the story. I grew up truly believing that I could be whatever I wanted to be. But I had never seen a pilot, so I'd never even considered it. I mean, never, never seen a male pilot, let alone a female pilot. And so I hadn't thought about it. When he said that to me, and I went back to the university, and I thought, well, this seems like a great idea. I mean, I was a gymnast, a roller coaster kid, a tree climber. This is perfect. And I said, let's look into this waiver. And they found out I didn't even need a waiver. I was eligible the entire time. So I started doing all the testing, and I passed it all, and applied for the pilot slot. And lo and behold, I got one. Wow. That is amazing. That's awesome. So I have a couple questions and I'm going to kind of go off script here. So was that Lackland? Was that in Sacramento? Is that where that is? No, it's in uh, San Antonio, Texas. San Antonio. That's exactly where it is. That's right. That's right. You said you had this understanding or this, you know, belief in yourself and you believe that you could do, was that formed early on? Was that supported by your parents? How did you develop that sense of, I could do anything I, I set out to do? You know, I think it was a combination of my family. And I think that society, at least where I grew up at that time, was really starting to tell little girls, you can be whatever you want to be, you know? And because I started to have this idea that I needed to avoid pink and I needed to not let guys hold the door open for me, like these weird concepts of you know, like I'm going to, I can do it all and be it all. And I, I think it was the shift in society combined with my family's ultimate support. Yeah. yeah. I love hearing how people develop that inner strength and that mindset, because I also grew up that way as well. And for me, knowing that I could do anything was just so awesome because it really helps you throughout your life. And so that's what interests me in asking you, how did that develop for you? Where did that come from? And I think, yes, family and the way society was changing at the time. Those are two absolutely big factors and maybe why we had that mindset or that concept of, yeah, we could just do anything we wanted. And sometimes that also comes from within in regards to you're just born that way. You have that innate thought and ability of, yeah, I'm going to do it. <laughs> it's just going to happen. Yeah. My mom always tells people that when they, they ask about me and she says, well, I just learned that Tammy's going to do what Tammy's going to do. <laughs> and that could be taken the wrong way, but that's not what she meant. You know, right. she's, she's driven and she goes after it. And I, I think that, you know, I always believed that I could accomplish whatever. And when I came against the hurdles, I was a little surprised because I would say in some sense, I I was a little bit ignorant about the world. I mean, we all are right. We're only exposed to so much as we, as we expand our circle and our, you know, where we have been and the, the challenges surprised me, but it still didn't stop my belief that I could do it. Yeah. There was something in your core that was there that drove you and everybody's story is different. So it's nice to hear what that was like for you. So let's talk about your aircraft evolution. And 
I know about your story. So let's talk a little bit about your injury and how that also impacted you. Right. So I, my first assignment, I was an instructor pilot in the T-37, mm-hmm. which is a low wing aerobatic formation, you know, G pulling, it pulls up to six G's little jet and we spin in it and, you know, all sorts of things. And it was, it was great. It was super fun. But my next assignment was going to be going off to fly fighter jets, specifically the A-10. And a couple months before I was about to leave, I was flying with another instructor pilot in formation with two instructor pilots in the other jet because these jets had two seats. Mm -hmm. So there was four of us and two aircraft. We're flying formation. The other pilot in my aircraft was flying at the time. I was looking up through the bubble canopy at the other aircraft, and he went from 1G right to 6 in a in an instant and I didn't know he was going to do it. And so my head was already up and it really kind of racked me and I was like, "Whoa, that did not feel good." And um I was pretty upset about it because I knew I was about to leave to go fly an even uh, or an aircraft that pulls even more G, more intense. Um and I just had the, I, I pulled myself off the schedule. I had the ability to do that, the position I was in, and I didn't go to the flight dock because as pilots, especially someone who's about to change aircraft and do new training, I, the last thing I wanted to do was be grounded. And so I just kind of took care of it on my own. And I figured I just pulled something. When I got to intro, intro to fighter fundamentals, which is an, a very intense fighter weed out program, basically where they're trying to weed out who really, who we don't want to send on to fly the actual fighters. We need to weed them out in the, this trainer jet. So I, during that program, I went to a chiropractor and got through same thing with a 10 training. Then when I went to Korea, there, there's no chiropractors over there. And so a couple of times I woke up and my neck was just pretty much locked. Mm. Um, and I remember one morning I did fly. I, I looked, I remember barely being able to look down at my knee to see what my takeoff time was on the card I had on my the strap to my knee. I thought, I can't, this is dangerous. Like, I can't do this. And I went and got an MRI and that's when they found that the disc was pushing up against my spinal cord. And when I got back to the States after my year in Korea, I had cervical spine reconstruction and they found the disc was in pieces. So they, mm. they fused those two pieces together And I could have gotten a waiver and gone back to the A-10, but it was really complicated. I was going to go back to full training. I was about to get engaged and get married. Um, So I was actually recruited by um, an unmanned platform, the MQ-1 guard unit. They were just standing up here in Tucson and they said, can you come join our squadron? They just put, they've recently put weapons on this aircraft and we don't know how to there were a lot of the people flying them had never flown with weapons before and flying the A-10 and close air support. I was very familiar with how that worked and how you operate with it. And so they brought me on board and um, I felt like it was a really great place for me, despite the fact that I never thought I would fly unmanned planes. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you take your opportunities as they come and you do the absolute best with them and you do the best you can with them. And it turned out to be a great opportunity for me where I made a significant impact. That is wonderful. Now, I just want to clarify for everybody because of the language. Military is so interesting because we really have, <laughs> there's really a different language and the culture is so different. You said ADOC or, you know, where you go and get checked out. Is that correct? Oh, the flight doctor. The flight, flight doctor. Flight doctor. Sorry, I right. try to keep it simple, but I don't always <laughs> recognize all the terms I use. Yeah, the flight doctor, he takes care of the pilots or she takes care of the pilots. Right. 
Um, yeah, I didn't, I didn't go see them. (laughs) I hurt my neck. Yeah. And so, you know, with military too, it's funny because you're always thinking, how is this going to impact my career? And so it might've been the first thought of, I can take care of this on my own. I don't want this to impact my career. I want to go on to the next phase because I'm getting ready and gearing up towards flying this new plane. So here you are, and you're trying to, you know, kind of juggle this on your own. So that is very interesting. And that evolution and and where that took you. So Mm -hmm. that took you, as you said, to joining the Air National Guard and piloting the MQ-1 Predator and the MQ-9 Reaper, accumulating over 1,500 hours of combat support time in both Iraq and Afghanistan. Can you tell us a little bit about this experience for you? Yeah, it was, it was pretty incredible, actually. And just to reiterate, as when I graduated pilot training, we made jokes about flying unmanned planes. and We were all like, hey, hey, you're going to fly. We were just kidding. Um, you know, it came to be reality. And for some people, the reality came because of their performance. They were switched to that platform. Um, my reality came because I chose it and it seemed like a very good fit for me at the time. Um, didn't have to move. And my husband was border patrol here in Tucson. So it, it worked out really well for me for my life. Um, but the other thing, you know, when you take an opportunity that you don't expect or you didn't see coming and you just go for it with everything you have. I mean, there's no sense in letting part of your mind be off in, in the other path that you thought you were going to take, because now you're just not using all of you towards your objective. And so I just said, okay, this is my new mission. This is what I'm doing. And I did my absolute best at it. And what I loved about it was, first of all, almost all of our missions were combat because, so the only time I flew that aircraft, not in combat was in the very beginning in training. Mm -hmm. Once I was actually checked out in the aircraft, even though there's still more training to be done, all of our training was done in combat when there was kind of slow times or down times. So I would be sitting Um, I initially started flying out of Nellis because Tucson didn't have a control station to to fly the planes from. So I was flying out of Nellis operating aircraft via satellite that were in Iraq or Afghanistan. And eventually we moved those. We had stations that stood up at Tucson. And there was a couple of great things. First of all, I loved that even though I wasn't in the aircraft and I did miss that piece of it, I knew that every day I was making a difference for someone on the ground you know, I didn't always know what that difference was, but being the eyes in the sky and providing that intel was very helpful. And a lot of times there were other things that we did, you know, we'd support the guys kinetically, meaning with the missiles or um, talk to them on the ground and help them maneuver away. There was just lots of things we were doing that was, was very helpful. And that, that felt good. It wasn't about me and my ego being in the cockpit. You know, I missed that, but it matters more that I make an impact. And the other thing it allowed me to do, it allowed me to have a family while I was flying. So in a fighter aircraft, you're immediately grounded because of the ejection seat. Um, Funny story, I got married while I was flying the RPA, remotely piloted aircraft, the Predator. Mm -hmm. And I went into the flight doc, flight doctor right away to Mm -hmm. make sure I was, this is really happening. I was so excited. And he said, yep, you are pregnant. He's like, and you're grounded. And I was like, what I'm grounded for what? Like I'm three feet off the ground in a trailer, literally a mile on the other side of the base flying this plane. 
And what happened was, is the regulations that guide us were not written yet for unmanned platforms. So they had to apply heavy aircraft platforms. So like a cargo pilot can fly her second trimester. Mm -hmm. So they grounded me my first trimester, second trimester I flew. And that entire first two trimesters, I worked with the flight docs to get the regulations changed, you know, documenting research or, you know, like why it's okay. And they ultimately changed the regulations before my third trimester. And I was allowed to fly till 36 weeks, which was great for me in the stage of life that I was in. Yeah. Oh my gosh. What an amazing evolution and how much of an impact you had a positive impact you had. That is incredible. So you helped rewrite the, the language for something that hadn't been written yet, which is phenomenal. You continue to fly. And this is what I love the most, Tammy, is that you really readjusted your mindset Mm -hmm. to know that here you are, you're in the moment. And why am I going to look at that and long that long for that? And you just brought that over. You brought your skills over and you applied that to something new. And yes, you were absolutely helping somebody, groups of people every single day, as you said, you know, connecting kinetically, understanding what the strategy was, understanding how you could keep these people safe. And that's so important. So thank you for your service, by the way. You're welcome. It was really an honor. I loved it. My goodness. So you are also a graduate of the prestigious U.S. Air Force Weapons School. You're a mom, you're a wife, you're a Christian minister, and you run Athena's Voice. Tell us a bit about this organization. Well, Athena's Voice was created when it actually starts off with my husband. So he came up to me one day, a couple of years before I retired. And he said, I know what you're going to do when you retire. And I just kind of looked at him like, yeah, right. Whatever. I'll just, you know, I'll figure something out, but I got it. But I was curious. So I said, okay, what am I going to (laughs) do? And he looked at me and he said, motivational speaking. And I just sat there and I thought, all I could think about was that feeling of when you go up on stage and, and you're just so nervous and are you going to say the right things? And my lips are so dry and they're sticking together. And can anyone tell, you know, <laughs> all those things just like flooding. I thought that's crazy. I'm not going to do that. Of course I've done a lot of speaking, but a, not that type of speaking. And wow. I, I thought it seemed kind of egotistical to get up on stage. Like I don't want to be in the limelight. I will be, I'll take the limelight with a group of people. I love being part of a team but I thought, nope, I don't want to do that. But what's interesting is that over the next couple of years, I really thought about it because he usually has some insights somewhere, you know, he's, he has these reasons. And I thought, Hmm, that's interesting. And what I noticed was that I was ending my career as an instructor at pilot training at Laughlin. That's exactly where I started my career and things didn't look a lot different. And I'm not ever saying that I, I expect the gender thing to be 50-50. That's not realistic. But it didn't make sense to me that the numbers weren't growing for women in aviation. And I could, I remember hearing time and time again, people saying things like, well, I can't be a pilot or I can't be a fighter pilot because I want to have kids. All these reasons and excuses. And I thought, you know what? I think what happens a lot of times is so many women, they go, they retire and 
go off into the, you know, onto whatever they're doing next. And they're, you know, they think they're being humble and quiet, which they are. That's fine. But the problem is, is that all these amazing stories never get shared. Mm-hmm. And we don't hear about this. And we don't hear about these women who've done these things. And, and it could be anybody. It doesn't have to be women, but people not sharing their stories that could be helpful to those behind them. And that's ultimately when I was speaking just on occasion, randomly over the last, last couple of years of my retirement, what I was doing, I was helping people see things differently and sharing my story, things that they were like, oh, wow, you did that week. Oh yeah. And so they see things differently and they change their mindset and they, they shift. And the way I really like to describe it was, is that like the women air service pilots, a lot of people don't never heard of them. They flew every aircraft in the air force inventory in world war II. They were instructors. They were ferry pilots. They, they, they towed targets so the guys could practice shooting. Nobody knows about them. So I thought, well, you know what? I, I need to this, if there's a forest, right. That you're going to go through, you have to blaze a trail to get through it. Right. And if there's not a trail, that's when you blaze your own. Well, so many women have gone before and their trails just get grown over because nobody's sharing their stories. Mm. So I thought, you know what, I need to take the light. I need to shine it backwards so that people can see this trail and they can go up it as far as I went and take it further than I ever did. Mm. And that was kind of where Athena's voice grew from, because that's when I realized it was not being egotistical to get up on stage and share my stories, ultimately to share wisdom and get people to shift their mindset. But it was selfish, in my opinion, to not because then more people have to grow through the same pains that I grew through. And I decided at that moment that I was willing to give it a shot. And so I reached out to a friend who was already speaking and she said, you know what, we need to start a business. We need to get more women out there doing this. And there's power in numbers and there's, you know, in seeing is believing there's so many different reasons behind starting this business. You know, women, men are out there sharing their stories to both men and women. Women should be out there sharing their stories and their wisdom with both men and women you know, little girls can see us doing it. Other women can see that we've done it. I mean, there's, there's so many facets to why we started it. And so that's how it grew. It's, you know, and Athena being the wisdom, the goddess of wisdom and war is where it came from and voice, obviously speaking. So Athena's voice is that's, that's the story. Okay. Well, I love this because it leads directly into my next question. Okay. It's so not random, actually, but it's (laughs) fantastic. So we have covered so much. You have really spoken about and to your evolution, what it was like to be a pilot, what it was like to be an unmanned pilot, what it was like to do all the things you've done. So this last question is, if you could leave the listeners with some words of wisdom, what would they be? Well, I think that ultimately in order to persevere in whatever goal you're setting, you truly need to define what success is for you in that particular role. You know, for me, whether it was what does success as a pilot mean when my platform shifted, I had to redefine that. What does success as a mother mean? You know, am I going to let society define that or am I going to define that success in that role myself? I think that's very powerful because if we let society define success in that role, we can beat our head against the wall and end up giving up because we just can't think we can't persevere through that because sometimes those objectives are unreasonable and we can't reach them. 
So I just truly think that we need to define success for ourselves. Well, thank you so much for being on the core women podcast today with me. You're very welcome. So you can connect and follow Tammy G Barlett on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, and at Athena's voice, USA.com. Thank you for joining us on the core women podcast with Dr. Summer Watson. We're so glad you're here and would love to connect more with you. Find us on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube at core women and on Twitter at core women one. For more about Core Women and Dr. Watson, visit corewomen.com. Want more support and resources for amazing women like you? Great! Join Dr. Watson and Jen Fontanilla at the Life, Love & Money Collective, a Core Women production that aids in understanding the key traits that might be getting in the way of living a life that you are absolutely passionate about. Connect with Summer and Jen and find out more at thelifeloveandmoney.com.